You're listening to The C-Dub Show. Visit us on the Say Something Nice podcast network at ssnpodcast.com. Follow us at The C-Dub Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And now, on to our show. Against <laughs> the canvas of the night. What is the black star? Is it the cat with the black shades, the black car? Is it shining from very far to where you are? It is commonplace and different, intimate and distant, fresher than an infant. Black, my family thick like that strap molasses. Star on the rise in the eyes of the masses. Black is the color of my true love's hair. Stars are bright shining in hot coals of air. Black like my baby girl stare. Black like the veil that the Muslim wear. Black like the planet that they fear. Why they scared? Black like the slave ship that they brought us here. Black like the cheeks that are roadways for tears. They leave black faces well traveled with years. Black like assassin crosshairs. Blacker than my granddaddy armchair. He never really got no time to chill there. Cause his life was warfare. See warfare. on the front lines of black is all there. Black like the perception of who or welfare. Black like faces at the bottom of the well. I've been there before to bring the light and heat it up like like Ocena. Make what I imagine happen, but maybe I'm just a dreamer. I love rocking tracks like John Coltrane, love Naima. Like the student, love the teacher. Like the prophet, love Khadijah. Like I love my baby features. Like the creator, love all creatures. Who are knowledge, truth, and peace seekers? We on point like heat seekers. Targeting the black marketing strategists. Run up on them with the heaters. Everybody following with no leaders. Feeling like we're killing ourselves because I know they can't defend Feed us, it don't stop till we complete this. Keep this fly. There's so much to life when you just stay black. Okay. Okay. We, we about Halloween is one day. Don't go to it. It just happens. Wow. Welcome, everyone, to the C-Dub show. You got just a little bit right there of everything that you miss when we are not recording. Um, so clearly that means we have the whole gang here with us today. Uh, first we have Courtney and the return of Caleb. Hello, Courtney and Caleb. Hi, Caleb, say hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, we get a, you know what, a year ago we did not get high and now we get high. Hi, Caleb. And we like your new, your hair, Caleb. It's really growing out nicely. Oh, hey to your mama too. Hey, Courtney. <laughs> Wait, say hello, everybody. Hi, And we also have Willis on the lay. Hello, on the line. Hello, Willis. Hello. Hello, hello. And we also have a special guest on the line with us today. We have Rasheem from the Counter Narrative Show. Hello, Rasheem. How are you? <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? We Good. are awesome. Rasheem, tell us a little bit about you and your show before we jump into the topics for today. Um, so I'm Rasheen. Um, the counter narrative show is a online vlog show. Where I have different guests on and it's basically, um, a critical look at culture and it's a, a stream or the purpose is to provide a, a narrative that is counter to some of the mainstream narratives that are out there, particularly about marginalized populations. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're going to get right into it. First of all, people, you have not talked to us for a while. Um, since our year anniversary show, which we recorded actually before the year, we recorded it in what? Was that June or July when we recorded that, that was show? July. That was July. When did, uh, 
Britney into coming back out here? I'm Britney just needs to just. I mean, we need Britney to come teach in either Oakland or Richmond, but that's neither here nor there. What? I'm not a teacher anymore. Oh yeah, that's right. You're not a teacher anymore. <laughs> what is what is the next journey for you, Courtney? Or I mean, Brittany, what's the next journey for you now that you're not teaching anymore? Um, the next journey I will reveal when things are a little bit more settled. <laughs> well, that sounds yes. like a big thing. Usually, when somebody say they can't reveal. That sounds like a big deal. So we are excited to hear it. Courtney, I know that you have news that you want to share with the with the people. What is your news? Courtney? For me or for, for Brittany? For you. Ain't you like some city official or something now? What are you? You something, something. City official. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I'm not a city official. <laughs> Anyways, so no, I was, it's been in the works, but I was appointed to Alameda County's Housing and Community uh, Development Advisory Board. So something I'm very excited about because we will have direct, we mean, who's that? That's the people, that's Carolyn clapping for me. Clap for me, boy. Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. That escalated so, quick. Right. <laughs> uh, we will be able to influence, um, obviously, housing and community development projects all throughout Alameda County, which is, uh, for y'all who don't know, Oakland falls within <laughs> Alameda County and the general county is experiencing mass um, displacement of black and brown residents. So being able to um, implement projects that will either slow down, reverse, um, or stop gentrification from taking place is something that I will be um, doing in the near future. Well, awesome. Congratulations. We like having public officials on our show so that they can give us (laughs) critical context when public officials fuck up. So thank you for all your hard work, Courtney. We, <laughs> we, we, we appreciate you. So let's go ahead and jump right into the meme check-in. Um, Courtney, what is a meme that has made you cackle this week or even just since the last time we all spoke with each other? Okay, stop. Um, the, one, the one meme I actually just posted it maybe like today, it said... Um, you got to shoot your gun in the air a few times a week just to uh, slow down the gentrification. And what? I felt that in my soul because, <laughs> like, and because the crime statistics in Oakland were what they were, uh, white people didn't fuck with us. And um, I remember being very young, actually, and going on a field trip. And I went to private school. Well, that- we need to get him. We'll have one of those days where it's going to be me and you. Yeah! Okay. okay. So, um, in fourth grade, and we were yeah! obviously well-behaved, and the 
wherever we went had heard we were from Oakland and was like, oh, we're so impressed with their behavior because, you know, we were worried about having school children from Oakland here. And it was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, like you're judging school children <laughs> off of your preconceived notions of whatever's going on in the city itself. Like not trying to force you to move there but like you you're judging children coming from just that city so that was problematic obviously um but that's how people felt for a long time about Oakland um and and Carolyn knows Richmond as well people uh white folks did not move there at all but the thing that I love about like, Richmond is that we still I always kind of laugh we'll have one every once in a while these articles say crime in Richmond has gone down we haven't had a shooting in three months and it's like niggas hear that and they just be like uh-uh we still here and they go out and shoot something up and I feel a lot better I feel like we every once in a while we need that check in we still Richmond and we still out here so I feel that um, Willis, what is a meme that you have seen recently that may have ca- made you cackle? Um, I don't think I have one really. I've just been laughing at people, not memes. So, <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone particular that you've been laughing at? Um, I don't know. White people. Oh, okay, that works for me. Rashim, has there been any meme or viral video that has made you cackle in the last week oh there is a meme and there's always uh there's a few people that i always go to when i want to hear a good or have a good laugh or just smile so the meme and i just posted it um about 18 minutes ago is that if you're arguing loudly on your phone in public please put it on speakerphone because i like to hear both sides of the story That's me out here. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be out here talking, putting all their business out in the street and calling them all of the names, I like to hear what they got to say about you. I want to hear what their response is. You didn't call them a nasty bitch and all this kind of stuff. I want to know. What did they say when you asked oh, them for that money back? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, if you're going to be out here, let's be all the way out here with it. I love that one. Well, the meme that has a viral video that has made me cackle this week. So it, I saw it randomly. You know, I, I love the Lord and I'm very connected to my church community. And someone tagged me in this video, which has spiraled in his own set of memes. Um, and basically what it is, is it, it's a choir. They're singing at a concert. And then right when the when the verse come up, somebody runs up and steals the mic and starts singing the, singing the verse. Wait, hold on. I'm going to play it for y'all so y'all don't think that. I My am the crazy one. <laughs> one if that's the one that I think that you're putting up is that somebody comes take the mic from her give it to somebody else and she's still going for the next mic. yes like she's still standing there reaching for it like they come the, the choir director come and he like whisper in the ear like get the fuck out the choir then and then and then she's still reaching for it like I'm about to sing the next part too uh, but right. I, the only thing that's not funny is I heard the backstory. I'm getting like conflicting stories because you know clearly she did not come to choir rehearsal. We know that that's what happened. That's what happened when you go to church and you in the choir and you don't come to rehearsal. They're gonna take your solo. 
but I think she had been sick or something. Somebody said that she had a stroke or something. I don't know. It's like it's a lot of stories going around, but it's it's just the hilarious the way she perfectly timed to run right up there in the middle of the two ladies. It's hilarious to me. It's my favorite. I I will post it no matter what. I will cackle at it. And the little lady that's singing behind her, I have her stuck in my head because really, you got to see the whole video. It's a two hour video. It got Kiki Shear singing at the beginning. Nobody really sounds particularly good in this video, but that's just my choir sense. All right, folks, before we jump into our main topics for today, I wanted to give a shout out to September 29th, 1998, which was a very important day in hip hop history. And I'm going to click over to that right quick. Hold on one moment. But anyway, what I played was Outkast Rosa Parks um, because September 29th, 1998 is actually considered what, what hip-hop historians call the last great release day in hip-hop history. So on September 29th, 1998, Outkast's Equimini, A Tribe Called Quest, The Love Movement, Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life, and Most Deaths to Leave Quali, our Black Star, which is what I played at the top of the show, were all released on that day. As long as Brand Nubian's um, foundation, which kind of got lost in the fray and we don't really talk about. But it's considered one of the last great days of hip-hop history. Actually, two of my favorite albums are in that top four. Um, Black Star is one of my top ten favorite albums. So I just wanted to shout out to that day because clearly we're never going to have that again. I mean, the Carter Five came out this week and it was the top streaming album. But we're never going to have a, unless there's a big change. There will be nothing like that in hip-hop history again. So shout-out to hip-hop. Shout-out to Most Def and, and Talib Kweli and Tribe Called Quest and R.I.P. to Fife and all that essential good stuff. So let's go on to the reason that we are all here today. Um, We are going to talk about Senator, now Supreme Court Justice, as of tomorrow. Brett uh. Kavanaugh. Yeah. So I, I, for those of you that have been under a rock and don't know what have been going on, I'm going to give you the, the Brett Kavanaugh saga, a timeline from Huffington Post. So July 9th, um, Brett Kavanaugh and President 45 stood in the East Room of the White House and 45 announced that he had picked Kavanaugh to the nation's highest court, succeeding Justice Kennedy, who retired in a covert mood that I still think was coerced feel like they back there blackmailing people and doing all this stupid shit to get him to retire but he nominated him I on july that. the 9th and on the 10th kavanaugh came to capitol hill for the meeting with the lawmakers who included mike pence boo mitch mcconnell boo um and the judiciary committee of the let's see judiciary committee chairman chuck grassley of iowa who were just a whole bunch of white men just, he met, we'll just say that on July 10th, he met with a bunch of white men 
And then on September 4th, he returned to Capitol Hill, but this time to kick off his confirmation hearing um, before the Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary Committee is made up of 21 senators, 11 Republicans, and 10 Democrats, with Grassley, you know, the white man that he met with earlier, at the helm, and Senator Dianne Feinstein from here in California as the ranking Democrat. Um, the first day of the confirmation hearing began with the Democrats calling for more time to go over the, the documents, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at the timeline and I'm trying to figure out, can y'all tell me exactly when did the sexual assault allegations come? That's what I'm looking for. When did that happen? Nobody I, knows. Last week. So, so did it, it just came up during the confirmation? It didn't come up before that? Oh, well, apparently it's, it's kind of oh uh actually you know what Rashim ha handle that because uh the way I'm about to explain it probably it is gonna be wrong but <laughs> it's just the way that it looks to the <laughs> to the average citizen <laughs> automatically assume that you probably um you know you probably got it right so apparently <laughs> and um to the to the selection committee uh, months ago okay sitting on it. And then at the confirmation hearing is when it, it started to come up. Now, also keep in mind, even along with that, they have about 90 percent of his information, resume and record that the Senate is not even available to review. So what's that's the equivalent of is if you went for a job interview mm -hmm. and 90 percent of your resume was missing and they still want you to, like, Take look at job. this person. Right. And look at this person as a viable candidate. And what half of the people were saying is like, we all you got on his resume is his name and his address. Like, what has he been? You know what I mean? What has he been doing? So in the in the process of trying to get that information, as well as um, some other information on him, that that letter was produced that was sent that Dr. Ford sent to the committee. Now, was that the letter? Because they know they kept talking that she told Diane Feinstein. Is that the same letter? Did she send it to Diane Feinstein? Yeah. That's it. Oh Lord. Oh Lord, see, California. This is exactly this is you know see, what? That's what <laughs> it was like so supposedly, apparently, like Diane Feinstein been knew about the allegations, the allegations against but sat on it for hella long. And I mean like now you know, like you you look you look crazy if if I'm agreeing with Republicans because they was like, Diane, you knew about this. Why did you, you wait tell up it. until this point? To and that's say what something. I kept getting and confused because the, the Republicans. Yeah, I, that's why I kept getting confused because you know anytime that I that I feel like I'm defending Republicans, like I don't necessarily think that if they knew that they was gonna do nothing, but you didn't even fucking tell them. And did she ever give a reason why? She did not necessarily. I don't recall her when it was presented. It was like you been knew about this girl. Woo woo woo. She was just kind of sitting there looking like you know, look. And like that's it was kind of like her comeback wasn't really like well the reason I sat on it was like well I wanted to review it further or maybe she didn't necessarily think it was relevant because to me it's like you don't say something for one or two reasons. Either you a don't believe it, hmm. or b you don't think that it's relevant. It's so if you didn't think it was it. relevant, I think. And here's, here's another thing again, not to like be like 
you know, um, advocates for Republicans. But I think it was that 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 was used as a trump card, pun, uh, pardon the pun, um, to like as like I'm gonna pull this out. Mm. Made me feel like she was sitting on it, like okay, if this if this thing actually goes through, then I'm gonna pull this out. Either way, it was wrong, and they should have uh, presented the information. Um, but yeah, I just don't like that being used as like a strategy move. Like mm-hmm. I feel like there needs to be some moral compass. Like when you're dealing with someone's sexual trauma, that they're gonna have to then discuss in front of like the world and have you know because it's like then she has to get all investigated and Dr. Ford had to go through her own you know line of questioning clearly. Which is why we going through what we going through in California. Because me, Courtney, me and you were both at the California Democratic um, caucuses. And so we were privy to what was going on as far as, you know, Kevin DeLeon getting the the nomination. And these are, this is the kind of thing that leads to that. Like, because I, I, I understand the, the excuse about the, you know, having to be the Trump card and all that, which makes absolute perfect sense. But what kind of moral compass do you have? Is it a generational thing? Is it a white woman thing, which we are going to get into later, that leads you to, to use this lady's sexual assault as just like a political strategy instead of just saying, hey, this happened? I don't know. So on it was on September the 5th, day two of the confirmations, that a tweet... That 45 criticized um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions over the Justice Department's move to indict two Republican congressmen just ahead of the midterm. When asked about the tweet, Kavanaugh declined to comment on a political controversy, saying that he thought that one of the principles of judicial independence is that judges need to be careful about commenting on current events, blah, blah, blah. September 6th, we had the public questioning, which concluded day three of the hearing. September 5th, let's see, September 5th is when witnesses testified, let's see, I'm trying to get down to the day that we finally get to, September 16th, September 16th is the day that um, Dr. Ford's story runs in the Washington Post, and she still hasn't at this point been um, interviewed. So, so basically, I mean, I'm asking you, Rashim, and also Courtney and Willis, if you're privy to the timeline. So this whole, the whole hearings themselves went on was it basically this whole month until it got down to when when Ford testified. Is that right? Yeah. So, so this the the testifying was was what sparked this like fake investor, this fake FBI investigation. I say fake because it lasted less than a week. Right. Did it less even um, a day? It felt like it was only a day. <laughs> they interviewed, they they did not interview all three accusers, one thing. Another thing, there was 20 people at um, that party who all say they they could corroborate her story. They didn't ask him nothing. They didn't inter- ask them nothing. They, they also didn't interview his roommate. His roommate from college for the for the third allegation, his roommate from college came on CNN um, on Anderson Cooper CNN, um, saying like, "Why wouldn't they have interviewed me? If they're if they're trying to get into this person's character or talk about you know whether or not they had a drinking problem and blacking out and all of this. It seems like one of the people that you would interview is somebody that that, that was uh, there and no, because your college right. roommate know every fucking thing. Like my college roommate, I hope, I hope she don't never get mad. At, but I, mean, I was a good girl. <laughs> um, so, so let's jump to because I'm look I'm looking so I'm looking at this article where I'm getting all the information about Kavanaugh and one of the most endearing images enduring not endearing but enduring images um of September 17th of course there's the images of 
um dr ford testifying which i did have my i had my, all of my classes watch you know the test the, the testimony and what i basically told them i said you may not understand everything that's going on you're still learning about toxic masculinity you're still trying to untangle rape culture but i promise you in 15 to 20 years, somebody's going to ask you where you were when this happened, and you can say that you were here. Um, the most enduring thing to me was the facial expressions of Brett Kavanaugh, because he was just indignant about the fact that we, they that would even ask him. That was on the 17th? Him. That was on September 27th. Oh, September 27th. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would say that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Okay. He was just indignant that they would ask him these questions, and his responses was basically... was. The you know basic white explain about how he went to Yale. What that got to do with it? People people don't get raped to Yale. Okay, like he went to Yale and he was a Christian. And like <laughs> nobody could go to an interview, a job interview like that. Right. With that type of attitude. He act like he already had it, and not only did he already have it, he act like you owed it to him. Yes, and how dare you take it away? But you know entitlement. Like he that I've never seen anything more entitled. Now I will be honest. And we're going to talk about, you know, um, Dr. Anita Hill and where she fits into this narrative as well. I don't recall. I haven't seen Clarence Thomas's testimony all the way through. And it's probably because as a black man, he did not have the right of as much indignance, but he was indignant as well. I mean, you know, look at the Negro now. But the facial expressions of Brett Kavanaugh were classic. What were your thoughts? Did you first of all, did you guys watch? Um, Dr. Ford's testimony and Kavanaugh's testimony. And what were your thoughts? Rasheem, did you get to watch or did you watch him back? I did watch it. And what were what were your thoughts on the testimonies of, of both of the individuals? She was she was uh, very much credible. She was obviously uh, it, it was so evident that she was honest and clear headed, um, even in the questions where they asked her, like, um, how do you know? Are you how what to what degree of certainty are you that it was Brett Kavanaugh? She said, "I am one hundred percent certain." Mm. They said, "How do you know memory is correct?" She said, "Just as I know that I'm sitting here talking to you." And she's talking about she's a neuroscientist. She's a neurosurgeon. Right. Talk about not right. surgeon, sorry, neuroscientist. Talk about how to how the brain works and everything. And she's like, you know, the hippocampus and I don't know all of the terms, but <laughs> right. Um, right. She she uh she basically pulled out her doctor card and was like, this is how I know and this is how it happened. Um, he was an asshole from the time he came out to the time he left. Talk about I drank beer. I like beer. Um, and then when he was questioned by a woman about, have you ever blacked out? He talked, no, the woman asked him, have you ever drank and then drank so much that you didn't remember? And he said, oh, you talk about blacked out. Um, no, I've never blacked out, but I have fell asleep after drinking. <laughs> what? <laughs> when? Since, Since when does drinking make you fall asleep unless you black unless it you out? Unless you black it out. <laughs> No, wait a minute, wait, ho, 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 because if I'm not out, drinking does put me to sleep, so, like, it's not like, it's not like a sudden sleep, but it does make me sleepy, so, but I'm not saying that to excuse him, I'm just saying in general, that ain't, that, 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 that's a thing. Your answer to the question would be, like, have you passed out? And it's like, no, like I drink no, I and I get tired and then I take myself to bed. Right. It's like, right. I fell asleep. That makes it sound like it's a concurrent, like I'm drinking and then I just fall asleep. Like that's 
He that did, might not be blacked out, but down. but then he just kind of phased into not consciousness. That's uh, what? There was a lot of a lot to be said about what? the language that he used, along with the body about the with the body language, of course. Um, and to me, also one thing that struck me was the way that the the testimony, not the testimony, I'm sorry, the questioning was going between the senators. I myself was a little bit triggered by the way. I have a lot of compassion for Dr. Ford, and, and I she is definitely a brave woman. I What I don't like that we're, of course, going to get into later is the way that people have put her on a pedestal as the brave woman. I've actually seen some white feminists go as far as to say that she, um, what she went through was not the same as what Anita Hill went through, that it was much worse, um, that her demeanor was more dignified and the, the scrutiny that she was under was not the same when what I saw from the senators was them having more compassionate, obviously, for her. And, I mean, you did have the one, I forgot what his what his name was. He talked openly about, he said, we failed Anita Hill, which is great that you acknowledge that, but I, but his comeback behind that was still so accusatory of both Dr. Hill and Dr. Ford. I just was a lot uncomfortable with the way that they with the ways that they were questioning her. Did anybody else feel the same? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely feel like there was a contrast in terms of how people um, decided to look at those two things. Yeah, there was actually and because I want I don't want to stick too much on Kat, on Kavanaugh's testimony. I think the best way to sum up the way that he testified is another viral video that was released that had Samuel L. Jackson from Pulp Fiction um, questioning. Here, hold on. Here, here it is. You're Brett, right? Correct. I thought so. Um, I got into Yale Law School. Check out the big brain on Brad. That's the number one law school in the country. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. I had no connections there. I got there by busting my tail. Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. Can Beer. I still like beer. Mm. You mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash? Oh, we can't hear and it if you right now. Sometimes I have too many beers. Oh, I know, I know. But I did not drink beer to the point of whacking out. And I never sexually assaulted yes, anyone. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brett. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Lindsey Graham, he's warm. He's caring. He, he's considerate. What else did he say about Lindsey Graham was hilarious. Um, oh my god! <laughs> but the women that were sitting, who who were the women sitting? I I saw Condoleezza behind him when he actually took the initial oath. But who were all the women that they had sitting behind him? His wife, and to be honest with you, she ain't look too convinced. No, she didn't. <laughs> she looked like nigga, you lying. She looked like he confessed to her before they came. Like I did it, but I need you to be by my well, side. Well, she done seen him drunk. Yeah, seen him drunk. And can we stop the tradition of having women sit by the, by their dudes when they accuse them? Like, is that like a, a pastime now? It that is. That's the, that's the Olivia Pope narrative. You you have the wife. <laughs> you, and women through that, like, I think that that's bullshit. Like, if, if this is your shit that you did, why why in the hard and tough times you need to have your wife stand by you to make you look like a good guy? But when you on top, like, 
I think that's bullshit. It is that bullshit I, because it's, it's basically the idea that the, the public needs to see that the woman that you are married to or are engaged with supports you and is okay with what you did. And if she's okay with what you did, because that's the only thing that matters is whether or not she cares about it, which is weird. That's definitely, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's just obviously steeped in 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 patriarchy and the expectation of women is that we forgive men for their wrongdoings um because you know men will be men and men uh cannot be held accountable for their uh, uh moral shortcomings especially when it comes to just like not raping people and not going to parties and locking girls in rooms and then as they're begging you to stop and please don't rape them that you do it anyway so the expectation is that we just you know be good wives and and look past that you know overwhelmingly troubling problematic behavior because you know if you don't get you a man bitch then you know that's problem and the right other there. thing that we have learned from that tactic is the way that it the way that it affects the women when they are actually then confronted and then assaulted by the fact that they they stood by him because that's basically what has happened ever since um bill clinton left office is now hillary is left with the fact well you stayed with him like you stood next to him and is that really is that really their fault is it their fault i mean i don't I don't even want to bring up Hillary because Hillary Clinton's blood oath with Bill is like not even a good <laughs> example of like. Now that is very true. I've always when when that, it's so funny when he was speaking at Aretha's funeral and he was talking about him and Hillary in college and listening to Aretha Franklin like. It's almost, I feel, I've always felt like they, not just a blood oath, like they met each other in college and they planned this whole 30 year thing out. Like, like this has been the plan since whatever school they went to in Arkansas, but that's neither here nor there. But a lot of times the women are left with the legacy of, of them having stood next to their man. That's, that's definitely true. I, I want to talk about like women who it's like, I mean, if Hillary were to leave Bill, it's like, Nothing was going to happen to her. I, I want to, like, for me, it's like the women who, I, I mean, if we want to talk about women who've had to stand by their men doing, like, horrible shit, I mean, I want to take it back to generations where it's like women did not have the capacity to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, they would be destitute and possibly with children, possibly without their children. So, I mean, like, these women, I, I mean when it comes to like broads like Brett Kavanaugh's wife, all of these women who stood by these politicians and, and, and like all of these women, they can leave. Brett Kavanaugh's wife can leave him. Right. She can leave him and she'll be fine. She'd be getting spousal support, child support. She'd she get a settlement. Came from she'd a family that has the money capacity to take care of her. Right. She'd be fine. These bitches will be fine because they don't care because they subscribe. Oh, I, oh. I don't care either. So, <laughs> so they they subscribe to the same of patriarchy that puts them on pedestals, and and they work to uphold that shit. She doesn't care. She probably knows he was like a little rapey hands. He's probably a little rapey hands with, with her. her. 
That's what Precisely. I always say. You know, that's what I always say about Camille Cosby. Like, I feel like she's standing by, next to Bill because it's she all, was there. She was there. At, they they know. Yeah. She ain't shit. Now, go on record to say she ain't shit neither. And my whole point is, is like those women know, but they feel like those women are beneath them or those women are trying to destroy Pick their or yeah, like right. They there's they subscribe to that train of thought, that 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 mindset. So they know that their husbands are rapey and weird and did weird rapey shit, and probably you're still doing weird rapey shit because it's still they're trying to protect their own interest instead of doing the greater good and calling out their weird rapey husbands and sons and brothers and uncles and calling them out on their shit. They they won't do that. So. You know, fuck Brett Kavanaugh's wife. Fuck all these bitches who have rapey, weird husbands and brothers and all their weird, rapey male family members. So they, they know what the fuck's going on. They don't care. So fuck all them bitches. They don't care. They don't care. So, yeah. Maybe we should name this episode Fuck All Them Bitches. They don't care. No, we can't do that. I don't, I, like, iTunes won't allow it. We, we tried it. Um, because of, what else do you call it at this point? How many bitches got to tell you your husband was trying to run up on them in college for you to be like, you know what, maybe this motherfucker might be a rapist. How many right. times does that need to happen? And that they probably, he probably knew that when they got married. I don't, I've never read and I don't care enough to read enough. You telling me, you, you telling me they had no situation where this man and got drunk and probably felt up on a cousin of hers or a family mm-hmm. friend. And cause she know how he get. She, this woman know these women ain't stupid. Now let's let me let's bring um, this let's around. Know to how this. They drink. Let's bring this around to this. Then there was a very interesting article. I'm not gonna bring it up. Um, as a child of the '80s, one of I shouldn't say one of my favorites, but I enjoy his films. John Hughes. So there was an article that came out about Sixteen Candles and rape culture in the '80s. Um, if anyone in the audience has has seen the movie Sixteen Candles, which is upheld as one of the greatest '80s rom coms. Um, but at the core of 16 Candles, there is the story about how the male protagonist who I believe he was, he decides to fall in love with Marley Ringwald's character and he lets all the guys have his girlfriend and they really do have his girlfriend. So one of the, one of the secondary stories in the, in the film is her being passed around amongst these guys, usually drunk. And there is a line in there where he she he says something like she'll be too I don't know past that whatever word they use in the 80s to be drunk she she'll be too hammered to know. So there's been this conversation about I mean of course a lot of the conversations that we have about Me Too and about rape culture are different than it was in the 80s and about how Brett Kavanaugh pretty much was and is your standard white dude bro from the 80s and that was the kind of shit that they did. And how did that work into his narrative now going on as now Supreme Court judge? I, um, Rasheem, I want to preface this by saying Willis and Courtney say that I'm an ageist who always talks shit about them and say that they don't know stuff. I'm not going to assume. Courtney, <laughs> Courtney and both Brittany both say this. Because it's true. You because are an ageist. I, Go ahead. I, I'm an ageist to people older and younger than me. So that's not even... It's not important. Um, what do you guys think about this idea of, you know, in the 80s when this happened? I believe they said it happened around 86 or so. I don't know when they said it happened. Somewhere in the 80s, this this idea that 
back in those days we of course we didn't really talk about rape we didn't talk about we all still considered rape to be you know you got pulled into a back alley some man put a knife to your throat and and forced you to have sex so how does that play into what we're now seeing going on with Brett Kavanaugh the way that we talked about rape culture then the versus the conversations that we're having now I think a lot of it, uh, I mean, I think it's like you said, in terms of it being something that's been going on, when you, when you talk about the the power of patriarchy, it's it's so cultural. It's like, it's, 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 it's as American as American pie mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of the positioning of men in power. And right now there's this, um, I don't know if you've ever heard, empathy is a thing that they t- no. t- going around now. Empathy is like basically... Um, this large amount of sympathy for men who are accused of sexual assault. What? And they, they made up a whole like, word for that? Yeah, honey. Empathy. So, empathy. Okay. And what is the I root of this so word? What is, hip, hip, I mean, you know, I'm from the Bay. Hemp, I'm thinking weed. So, hemp. Oh, him. Oh, himothy. Oh. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Hemp okay. Like, for him. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I think that men have been playing at such uh, uh, an advantage for so long that any steps to level the playing field feels like a disadvantage. It feels like an attack. It's like, what you mean? I can't, you know, I even heard, I was at the gym not too long ago and I was on a treadmill with this woman and she was saying how she was much older actually. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, you know, after a while men gonna, gonna feel like they can't even flirt no more because like, there's a difference that. between like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me yeah. are you kidding me like you don't know the difference between flirting and trying to like take my pants off they do not you, don't, you have, know what i'm saying I've heard sexual, that. unwanted, that's bullshit i've heard men say i think was it too short somebody said you know the game ain't the game or something no more i forgot what it was that he, um i think it was him that said well yeah because we have to really talk about and I, it's so funny i saw this play out last night at our homecoming dance um, we have to talk about how everything, everything that not just men, but masculine identified folks have been taught about, quote unquote, the game, everything, every single part of it is rape culture, everything from top to bottom, beginning to end. And the way that I saw it play out last night at a homecoming dance is that, you know, we're having these conversations with, with, with boys about consent, about what is rape culture, about, you know, how they should and shouldn't, you know, talk to girls and do this and do that. These girl, these boys don't know how to talk to girls at all because they don't have nobody to teach them. <laughs> because you know we're we're helping them undo rape culture. The men is confused because they don't know how to talk to women anymore. I swear, I sat there at that dance with I don't know how many. I told them I said I don't care if you dance with a girl, dance with a boy. It does not matter to me. But the fact that y'all sitting here in the middle of a dance with three hundred students looking at fight videos on YouTube is concerning because they are s- super socially awkward. Um, but yeah, a lot of men don't know how to approach women anymore because everything that they've been taught has been bullshit, rapey shit. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I'm just really annoyed with this, with the, like the slippery slope argument that by pointing out sexual assault and, or sexual unwanted advance advances that this is somehow an attack on men. Uh, men. And I feel uh, like that is the way that the conversation is going. And I, I'm a bit concerned about it. I'm a bit concerned it's about it. It's not going that way. They are having that conversation. They are saying exactly that. That's like, that's they are already there at that bullshit-ass 
statement. <laughs> and how do we get from there? Because that's like that's like when you when you going in a maze and you trying to get out and you get in that one corner and now you trying to figure out how to get out of the corner. How do we even get out of that fucking corner? Because that's what you write. We are in that corner. How do we even get out of that? Nobody I think knows. it's a multiple prong <laughs> approach, and I think it's um, one not just in a way of how we raise our female bodied. Um, offspring, but also how we raise our male-bodied offspring yeah. um, in terms of, like, future generations. And people need to keep uh, speaking out and keep calling bullshit bullshit and keep saying no. I I, I will say um, I'm discouraged about things that are happen- happening recently, but I don't feel like it's, like, completely hopeless. But I am discouraged. I'm discouraged that um, a president could be bragging about sexual assault on camera and be accused by over a dozen women of sexual assault, and then we could, and he could become president. I'm I'm discouraged by the whole concept that um, and, uh, another man could be accused of sexual assault on by several different people, and and even if like e- just give it or give it a, a actual good investigation. Yeah. I, even if you don't automatically believe the chick, just give it a good investigation. And if it comes up that maybe he did it, that maybe, fuck, we don't need nobody in that office that maybe did it. Like for real, for real. I'm concerned. Talking um, about Bill Cosby, I'm very concerned with black folks and the, and the and the ways that that black folks have responded to their TV dad being accused of sexual assault. I am very one thing that I noted, and I think it's going to take a lot of people to kind of kind of get caught up with this is that you know so many people talk about he was my dad, he was my dad, he was the only dad I had. We got to have a conversation about the crack eighties. And how many people mm. really were actually left with Cliff Huxtable as their dad. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that their dad, who they were using mm. to escape their, maybe their crack family, maybe, maybe not. People, the family that member they had lost, maybe family members who were either on crack, who were in jail because of crack. But their dad was out raping 60 or more women while he was being their dad. Because mm-hmm. our the, the the excuses that I'm hearing from black folks about Cliff Huxtable. Cliff Huxtable is not a rapist. Even though I did read a very interesting um, fan fiction series where they kind of turned all the Cosby characters on their ear and, and talked more about their pains than the happiness of the, the, the Huxtables and their families and friends. They talked about things about why Cockroach really disappeared. They talked about, you know, why Vanessa was the mess that she was. Like, they really turned a lot of it on its ear. But that's what I'm concerned about. Hey, and that's a that's an important conversation. One of the posts I put up a while ago is that people are going to hear y'all talking about mm-hmm. um, Bill Cosby and not tell you that their uncle is touching them. Mm-hmm. They're going to hear you defending this man and be like, no, I, you know, because because we have it in our mind that somebody who sexually assaults a person cannot go to church mm-hmm. or they cannot be on the boy mm-hmm. scout team or they cannot do all of these other things like just because you could have a, a fantastic resume you could have done this civic duty and that civic duty or and but for whatever reason we have it in our mind that if they volunteer for some service if they gave blood if they were a boy scout that they can't also be raping that people. they are like, okay 
if they gave money to universities, if they had honorary doctorates. And we also, one thing that we don't acknowledge about Bill Cosby, we talked about, you know, the pound cake and the stuff that he said most recently about black people. But really also when you take apart um, the Cosby show, it was really about injecting respectability politics into our culture. They, it, I mean, it was a wonderful Ooh. show. I still have so so many fond memories of it, so many favorite episodes. But really, at its core, you know, like I always say, as a, a person who grew up in the black church from Louisiana all the way to Richmond, like when you look at things about the respectable church that they went to and how they did not do that hooping and hollering and shouting and singing gospel music, they just, you know, sung respectable hymns. All of it was about respectability politics. I feel like that's for me what makes it worse. Oh, mm-hmm. can I add? So originally, the Huxtables were going to be a working class family. Neil suggestion that they be um, an upper middle class black family. Mm. So that was her actual direct influence on the show itself. Wanted them. He wanted Cliff to be. Um, he wanted it to be similar to uh, uh, what was the show? Uh, not Family Matters, but um, what was it? was the white family with the racist white dad oh, that was all always- the family yes he wanted it to be similar to like all in the family but with a black family that was the jeffersons though that was the whole that was the whole genesis of the jeffersons i mean yes in a sense but more i think maybe because the jeffersons left you know, obviously they left the hood and moved on up. Yeah, okay, gotcha. I see what you're so saying. So we were actually going to be in the hood. So it was going to be kind of like a, like maybe similar to like a Everybody Hates Chris mm-hmm, before okay. Everybody Hates Chris. Gotcha. But she wanted them to be an, an upper middle class black family. So he changed the script. And that is why the Huxtables were who they were. But I'm sorry. I threw all black people who Cosby explained. Yeah, I, I I threw all those black people in the trash because at this point we're all between thirty and forty five fucking years old, and you just need to get a grip on reality. Have that type of family in real life. You don't need to hold on to this idea of this family so hard that you cannot look at the creator with in in real terms in real life and reality Mm -hmm. if you want to model your family off of something positive then you can do that in real life bill cosby should not go to jail for raping people and i'm sorry sorry your life was shitty but like i i can't rock with that I cannot rock with like that being your excuse that he did so many great things for black culture. Like I can't, that cannot be your. That can't be, like, that can't be the hill you go to die on. Basically. Courtney, do you have your headphones have to... on? Cause you cutting out. There you go. All right, I'm gonna. I wanted to tie this back around to two of our favorite senators, um, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, who became very <laughs> instrumental in actually getting what ended up being the fake FBI probe um, to to set up. Because there was initially there was the issue with Senator Flake, 
who said, which I, that's such an appropriate name. Some people just have appropriate names, who announced that he was going to vote for the confirmation of Kavanaugh. Um, he got followed into the elevator by some feminists, which we're going to get to white feminism soon. Um, he got followed to the, the elevator and trolled, and then he decided to call for an FBI investigation. But a lot of it really fell on Senators Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, um, who were added to the committee back in January after two men were taken down by sexual misconduct allegations. Former Senator Al Franken announced his resignation in December after eight women claimed Franken inappropriately touched them or forcibly kissed them. His departure left an open seat on the committee. Um, days later, and this is back to their, just their confirmation, Roy Moore, Moore, Moore lost his bid for Jeff Sessions' open seat in Alabama after multiple women accused him of sexual misconduct when they were teenagers and Moore was in his 30s. Democrat Doug Jones' special election win over Doug Moore added another Democratic seat to the committee. So this is just kind of the history of how, um, Senators Harris and Booker got onto the Judiciary Committee, um, but really their speeches and their refusal to let the issue go is what, what really got that FBI, FBI probe um, set in motion. But what eventually happened with the probe? Because the last thing I saw, one day there was a probe, next day the probe was already over. I know that there was a rush. I was talking to our one of our academy leads in our law academy, and she was basically saying there's a rush to get him onto the Supreme Court by Monday, because apparently, and I just read this today, there's some Trump administration issue that the court is going to be deciding on tomorrow, and of course they needed his vote on on the committee um so what exactly happened to vote on some stuff even though he's had less than 24 hours to oh even yeah review. yeah she told me then i because I, I asked her when we were watching the confirmations i said so what happens oh after what happens after this she says well i mean we know he's going to end up being confirmed and he'll be on the on the um you know on the seat by monday and he is he mm -hmm. is so just shout out to Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. You know, a lot of black folks have their own individual issues with both of them. I love them both. I know um, Courtney met Cory recently and said he smelled real good. He looked like he smelled good. He so <laughs> smelled really good and he was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he smelled good. So shout out to them. Um, he was very personable and he gave me his chief of staff's card and told me to let him know if we ever need anything out here in California with the Black Caucus, he would be happy to support us. So shout out to Senator Cory Booker. And, and so, I better yes. get my invitation to whatever that is because I love me some Cory Booker. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and and as a board member of the Lambda Democrats of Contra Costa County, I feel like I should be there. So <laughs> You got to check out what, how good he smelled too. Yeah, it, I will because I don't know if I trust Cory <laughs> Like I'm real sensitive about about men smelling nice. I'm real sensitive about smell anyway. nice, and it wasn't like overpowering. You know, sometimes they just throw on too much aftershave, and it's just like, okay, bro, we smell you coming. Like, okay, we get it. But he, it was just like a like you had to smell up, you have to like hug them to smell them, and it was like, oh, that was so refreshing. Cause yeah, are you okay, mm. Courtney? I'm good. Did we you uh, come back. Yeah, I am. <laughs> what was that scent? Because it was some I smelled before, but 
Well, we'll do. Look, we'll have another episode. Probably we'll something Diddy made for him on special order, something like that. Probably. On that note, I would like to make note of the fact that all of these things occurred two days before the birthday of Mother Fannie Lou Hamer. So we want to give a shout out and a best. Uh, I'm sorry, happy birthday and a rest in peace to Mother Fannie Lou Hamer. To have all this in my timeline. Um, matched up with all of the Fannie Lou Hamer quotables and birthdays and everything was just a bit much for me. Um, but her birthday was on yesterday. For those of you who don't know who Fannie Lou Hamer was, she was an American voting and women's rights activist, a community organizer and leader in the civil rights movement. She was a co-founder of the Freedom Democratic Party and she made a an unforgettable speech at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. Was that the speech where she said she was sick and tired of being sick and tired? It could have been. But she had a lot of quotables. Um all right, on to our next our next item on the agenda. You know, sometimes when I do my research for these topics, I mean, I pre I bring up all the, you know, prerequisite articles from CNN and ABC. But sometimes being the petty podcast that we are, the only oh. <laughs> the only articles that really speak to my spirit are from The Root, of course, because The Root used to be just a little bit petty, but now they didn't got so petty these days. Sometimes you got to make sure that, <laughs> that, that that it's all factually correct. But a couple of days ago, <laughs> I was I was able to witness this live on the Twitters. Um, Bette Midler decided that she was had had enough of, mm. of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and she had had enough of the way that Dr. Ford was being treated and that she was going to tweet about it and that she was going to use a song lyric from Yoko Ono of all people in the world to do that. And the song lyric that she used, and I quote, women are the N word of the world, raped, beaten, enslaved, married off, worked like dumb animals, denied education and inheritance, enduring the pain and danger of childbirth and life in silence for thousands of years. They are the most disrespectful, disrespected, I'm sorry, creatures on earth. That was her quote. I believe the beginning was the Yoko Ono quote. Women are the N-word of the world. And you know that the Twitters was not having it. Um, I was one of those folks on the Twitters. Did any of y'all first see and engage with this insane tweet from Bette Midler? Even though why we let certain celebrities even like talk on Twitter. Wait, while somebody said, somebody said, God damn it, Bette Midler, why you do this at the beginning of October? I ain't even got a chance to watch Hocus Pocus yet <laughs> before I had to find you. <laughs> engage with like the first wives club like I usually do. And it's like, I have to back up to like the beginning part when she talks about childbirth, because it's so clear, like. Why women are just like so obsessed with like being able to get abortions, but like they don't even get things like that because like they usually have like the financial and social capital to actually like just not like even have to get an abortion. So it's like they're just so obsessed with like this whole like we need to be able to get abortions. Oh, my God. And it's like, OK, girl, like, I guess. And then the fact that it's like, 
I, I need to like ask this and I really need an answer by 2019. Why are white people so desperate to use under like so many different, either they want to use it in like a professional standing, they want to use it um, in a social context, they want to be able to just to say it like and for no one to get upset, they want to be able to reference it. Stop being obsessed with the word nigger. Is it because we're like, you can't say it that, and they just want to say it so bad because they're used to getting everything? I don't know. Like, Women specifically are that word, like for whatever reason, that word, they just need to say it. They need to like, have you, wanted to, did you see the, the, the article be, of the of the kids in San Diego that took their senior picture spelling exact, out the word like nigger? that shit, like. Like, what, what was the point of that? Like, hey, guys, let's all get together and make t-shirts that spell out nigga. Like, why? Yeah. Because you need to do that. And it's the so like, thing that's also between black people, I'm sorry, white people and non-black people of color. Like, right now, I am showing my students um, roots in my class. And that word... When they see it in Roots and they're finally, every time somebody in Roots says it, I'm like, this is why you can't say that word in my class. But they specifically, you know, I was teaching a school that's 99.5% POC and only like 5% black. And they are obsessed with using that word. I don't know why white people and non-black people of color are obsessed with using that word, but they are. Oh, it's like for her to like reference it, like we're the N-words of the world. And bitch, if you're going to say it, then you just want to say the word. <laughs> way she could have communicated like women are treated. I mean, you could have used women are the second class citizens of the world. Women's are the mules of the world. Women are, you know, the most disrespected, you know, creatures on the planet. There's like so many different things she could have used to communicate what she was trying to communicate, which is in reference uh, kind of, she was kind of right. The the point is like black women and, and black. We want to give black trans and black queer women are the most disrespected, unprotected women in the world. If we want to get like very very specific, but I mean she was right. Women do we get shitted on, and then within our own separate categories, we can get further shitted on. I think but that it's one like, thing that was. One thing that that shows that she was being very she was being very specific on the way that she was wording that um, tweet. Everything in there is something that came from a quote somewhere else about black women. First of all, there's the notion that she knew not to say nigger. She knew not to say nigga. She knew to say specifically the N word. So you know what you're saying. I mean, you know the quote, even though she not. Oh, it came from Yoko. You knew what you were saying that she said it, it was. It rang true then, and it rings true now. She knew what she was saying when she talked about um, um, being the most disrespected creatures on earth. Well, we know that that's a quote that people have made about black women over and over again about the black woman being the most disrespected creatures on earth. I believe Malcolm X was the first one to make it as an actual quote. I could be wrong. Um, there was something else that she said in there. Everything that she really described, she talked about enslaved and married off. Uh, wait a minute. The most, the ones that were most enslaved and married off and worked like animals were black women. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Listen, one of the problems. Can I just say this? So Courtney asked why they like to 
say what Courtney, your question just now was just about like why do white people compare whatever the experience they have to like being black or whatever, I guess what you no, were saying I mean, was general like the, the word like nigga like why are they obsessed with the word but also like why do they do this thing when they're talking about certain things and they like they're, they're all it's always going back to like black people some type rights. of black oppression yeah. but it's really just about white people they they all all white people want wholesale access to black people and the black experience Mm -hmm. and they they most of the most egregiously racist ones and oppressive ones um fight to maintain that access but the ones who the ones that like are liberal and the i'm not racist ones um the most dangerous number (laughs) The, those are the, those are the ones who they don't fight to maintain that access, and they they might not even believe that they want that access, but subconsciously they do just is just because it's in their DNA. So why do white people want to say nigger all the time? Because it's the one thing that they they've can. been told since they were born that they can't say it. But as a white person who's also been told since they were born that they have ex they are entitled to everything that's why they're so fascinated with nigger because it's just like if i'm entitled to everything then why can't i have this also right but then also what cracks me up is is that white people understand at a very deep level that black folks have been oppressed because every time they want to compare their real or imagined uh, oppressions is always being compared to the black, black experience. They don't compare so, like, to it's not, They don't compare to no. They don't. So like, won't black folks. Bette Midler and Yoko Ono, both of them. Her reference to Yoko's Yoko Ono's quote and Yoko Ono saying that herself, like this whole the most enslaved bullshit the most such and such treated like animals it's like bitch you know black folks were treated like this right so for you so it's very hilarious that and i mean and you also understand that women haven't been treated well but it's very hilarious that for you to get across your point that women haven't been treated well is to compare it to the oppression of black folks. It's like, so y'all understand at a very, at the core of yourselves that uh, black folks have been oppressed in this country. Like it cracks me up that they do shit like that because they be telling on themselves and don't, and don't, and don't understand it. When have white women literally not figuratively like, oh, she was in a bad marriage. When have white women literally in America been enslaved and worked like animals? Not figuratively, not being in a bad marriage, ha- having a family that was working them, where it felt like, when have they literally been owned and enslaved and treated like animals? I, you know, I'm not always the best historian. I don't know when that has happened. Do y'all know when it has Never. happened? Never. But um, I, the first, I, I didn't see that initially because I'm not on Twitter as often as I as I used to be in a in a little while ago. But um the first comment under at Bat Miller saying that was Cree Summers and Cree Summers was like, and what a black woman. Yeah. Well, were you were you the one that retweeted that? Like, I, that's when I saw it. I didn't retweet anything. I saw this on screenshots. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the whole thread was people saying, uh, black women, I fixed it. Like, that was the whole thread for thousands of thousands. And after that went on for thousands or millions, rather, whatever, of tweets, then she comes back and she doubles down on it and she says, I gather I have offended many by my last tweet. Women are the etc. is a quote from Yoko Ono from 1972, which I never forgot, which always bothers me because a lot of this always goes back to white feminism as it was taught to them in the 70s in their youth when they were like burning bras and that was like the most revolutionary thing that they had did. It rang true then and it rings true today. Whether you like it or not, this is not about race. This is about the status of women, their history. What? To which that myself and some other folks were like, so basically you saying black women shut up and, and stop telling you and stop inserting your blackness into this conversation because it's not about you. He said, use the N-word and say it's not about race. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> that, like, I don't even get how they like come to... Yeah. Mm. So here's another point of confusion for me. In in I mean, I feel like since the beginning of um all different types of movement, black women have been left in the margins or completely excluded. Mm-hmm. Even when you go back to black liberation movement, black liberation has always been about black men. And then when you talk about the women's movement, the women's movement has always been about white women. And so for you to just say women. And and it's like when you just use the word women, it's code for white women. Because if you would have been inclusive of black women, you wouldn't have had to use the N-word. The N-word. Because you would have been talking about all women. But just by you saying women are the are the N-word of whatever, you're you're excluding a whole, not even just black women, you're it seems like you're excluding a whole uh group of people and not paying attention to my intersectional identity. And I think it's really, really telling and really, really annoying that what it means to a lot of Americans to be a woman is to be a white woman. And what it means in black, in a lot of um, older black liberation movies, what it needs to be black is to be male. Yeah. And so that's, well, I'm going to stop right well, there. Well, no, it's it interesting that you would say that. So I've been doing some research at the San Francisco public library for their home mail, um, LGBT um, residency where, you know, we basically go into their LGBT collection, which is huge and expansive and has so many amazing things. Um, both in the historical collection and just the books. And one of the, the articles or one of the essays that I was reading, let me see if I can move far enough away from the computer to actually pick it up. It's in a collection. It's called Dagger. It's called, the name of the essay is, oh, the myth of the black lesbian. And they, it, but it's really about black butches. And it's, a, and it's about how the, the, the myth or how the identity of the black butch is really um, brought into focus because queerness is always so seen as white. Even when, you know, you're talking about butches, when you say just the word butch, masculine, or whatever it is, generally that's really putting it up to that white ideal of what queer is, right? Um, we talk about Sappho, who is like considered like the lesbian of lesbians or whatever, but really the idea, the image of Sappho is of a white, quote unquote, femme woman. And a lot of times, a lot of that has to do also with because masculinity, such things, quote unquote, strong, um, being, uh, having a certain sort of wisdom, and all these kind of things are naturally attributed to what it means to be black. It's, all, it's a very interesting article. But a lot of it has to do with, you know, women being, like you said, white. 
um, men being black men and never really talking about black women, black queer women, black masculine women, black trans women. And what does that mean for feminism versus womanism, which was really what I wanted to go into when we talk about how white feminism will not work for or save anybody. And it's for me, it's one of those things where we're in a corner again because I'm well, we're not in a corner. Y'all say white women are in a corner because they don't want to acknowledge. They don't feel that they should have to acknowledge women of color, specifically black women. Do you all feel the same way or what do you what do you think in, in regards to that? I mean, as far as like white feminism uplifting black women? No, 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 no. As far as it's my personal belief that white feminism, which gets centered in a lot of these conversations, whether we're talking about um, Dr. Ford in the conversation with um, Brett Kavanaugh, whether we're talking about Bette Midler not wanting to acknowledge the fact that she is excluding black women and how these same women consider themselves feminists. These same women who want to exclude Anita Hill or say that she was not dignified when she went through her testimony back in 1992, want to exclude them because they are black. So how do, how does that get out of that particular corner as far as, you know, when you have feminism versus womanism? Or is that a corner that we a corner that anyone can get out of? Does it make I feel like, sense? I feel like you're right in terms of like um white feminism ain't gonna save nobody. Like it's barely working for them, which is why they have to attach themselves and have throughout history to black women's struggles. Or to black people's struggles. Like that's been that's been a part of the suffrage movement, why Frederick Douglass got so involved and why Sojourner Truth got so so much involved. Cause they it wasn't moving forward. Um, I think that what's lacking in black feminist movement is their ability to be intersectional in their approach. Because what we've had historically also is white women who, when it comes to an issue, they are willing to fight against sexism but they ain't willing to fight against racism Mm -hmm. and traditionally what we've had with black men is black men they willing to fight against racism but they ain't trying to stand beside me to fight against sexism so unless it's intersectional unless it deals with my race my gender my sexual orientation and even in some cases my income level like my, my my class level that's one of the things i love um you mentioned fannie lou hamer one of the things I love about um, her is because her approach was very intersectional mm-hmm. and it wasn't classes. There was a, a lot of uh, black women, civil rights leaders that I respect uh, and, and I appreciate them as scholars. But there was something about Fannie Lou Hamer and her approach that she was really trying to come for all the people. Like she was really trying to help and support all of the people like Fannie Lou, Lou Hamer wasn't on the level of an Oprah. She was probably more on the level of like my homegirl from around the corner, but she was trying to get us all like she was trying to get free and she was trying to take everybody um, getting free with her. And that's why I feel like white feminism ain't going to be helpful for nobody. And it's barely helpful for them because their approach is intersectional. And I think that because I'm, I'm getting a lot of notifications on Facebook about folks that are getting ready for next year's Women's March. And I, I know every time I get a notification or something about the women's mark, my ass itches because <laughs> because we know, we know we know and we've, we've we said so many times that the women's march as such as it is does not include the issues of women of color. There might be women of color who choose to go. Most of them do not. And I think that after what happened last year um, regarding the sister that that was on the board and then went to the Lewis Farrakhan event. I don't think that any woman of color should be going to the women's arts, but we know that, that it will be. Um, but when I see stuff like that, it just makes my ass itch because there's an entitlement that, yeah, we're doing the right thing. 
and most times you are not. I don't know. That's <laughs> I think it's because there's pieces missing, and 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 I think people can only see one identity at a time, and they and they prioritize one identity at a time. Mm. For example, mm. as much as I know Caitlyn's Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner's uh, movement and liberation and everything, I I still think about people like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and like how they're not getting like how how it's like Caitlyn is so brave, and I'm not completely taking that away from her. But I will say this is a person who lived at, under white male privilege their entire life. And their transition is not the same struggle as the women, the trans women who are black in Baltimore who are getting killed um, on a weekly basis. And I feel like we can make that it's so easy for people to make Caitlyn Jenner be a, a superhero and she's so and she's brave not, and then yeah. ignore all of the all of the women that are getting killed on North Avenue just trying to live and survive. And really the fact that a, a Caitlyn Jenner will not fight, also will not fight for those black trans women. You know, we, and will not, will not really fight for anybody else in the LGBTQ community. Um, to me, hey. Caitlyn has the entitlement of being, of, of having a community who initially supported her very, very much. Um, and wow. then she kind of, she, she took that privilege away from herself by showing her true colors of who she is and who she isn't, who she is going to support and who she's not, that she's not, she's not here for nobody but Caitlyn. She's not here there for, for trans folks. She's not here there for trans people of color. She's not there for the LGBTQ community unless it's going to benefit her, which is part of, you know, she's always been entitled. She comes from a family of entitled folks. She comes from a family of culture vultures. And the only, the only, I think the only thing with her is that she has not been able to culture vulture. I don't know as much as her stepdaughters have. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that really showed up for me and like showed me who she was is I saw this interview where she was on Ellen and Ellen asked her a question that I didn't know her stance on. Ellen asked her the question, um, for uh, marriage equality. Mm-hmm. And what was her response? This been said because I'm, you know, I'm a very traditional girl. Bitch, since when? <laughs> when, Sway? <laughs> How you, like, don't let that be your reason. So that, like, highlighted for me that this is really about you. And if it's about you, then, okay, let it be about you. But don't be standing in front of um, other people giving those speeches in front of mag on and on magazine magazines about how you are so brave when you have lived a life of of all of these intersectional privileges your entire life and now you can't even stand up for the other people who are looking to you for inspiration. No, you're not brave. You're a fucking coward. The people who came to you to to be your support when the rest of the world it's that's always an interesting thing when the rest of the world was giving you shit. And the community came to you and said, hey, we are your community now. You know, we got you. And you still actually don't support the folks that told you that they got you. That is that is peak white. Look, that's peak white woman privilege right there. It is. She doesn't have to. So, well, did, did anyone, Willis or Courtney, have any wrap-up thoughts or high-around thoughts about um, white women, white feminism, rather, um, whether or not it will support or save anyone, which, you know, of course we've had, we've done enough shows. I already know what your ideas and thoughts are on that. Um, did you have any wraparound thoughts about that? 
Stop being surprised when white people shoulder their trash. I don't understand why people are surprised anymore. That is, that, maybe that's the title. Right like now. with this Bette Midler thing, like I saw and I was like, okay, yeah. So like this is like every day. I don't get it. That was very succinct. What about you, Courtney? <laughs> I'm starting to get, I'm I'm almost to where, where Brittany is like, like white person can now surprise me by not stop doing that uh by not being completely ridiculous yeah until that happens it's just like part of the course (laughs) and i think that for me a lot of that's for me, that's when I talk a lot about why I don't always support a lot of progressive, and this is going back to political, why I don't support a lot of progressive candidates. It's because a lot of that is run by, you know, liberal, well-meaning white women, and I wouldn't say well-meaning white men, because that doesn't exist, but we know what it is. That's why I can't really support a lot of that, because a lot of it is actually steeped in that and putting black folks and people of color in front of it to try and mask what it is. And I can't get down with it. I can't get down with that at all. All right. I told y'all that we was going to wrap this up in an hour. We ain't never did that before. Never, ever, ever. But that... Let's have a day. You said what? You hitting the GPP tonight? You know what? No. Um... And that's all I'm going to say about that on the record. You see, I got a little... little uh, Courtney, what does that stand for again? Because I totally forgot. A uh, girl power pimping. Girl power pimping. Oh, uh, okay. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah, not really. Well, but since we... Well, I'll say this. Since we have been gone, I did actually mm-hmm. go to the Black Lesbians United Retreat. Actually, since we've been gone, I've gone to the Black Lesbian Retreat, um, Lesbian Conference in Brooklyn. And I had not Brooklyn in Harlem and I've gone to the Black Lesbians United Retreat in Malibu. And, you know, it always goes down up on the mountain when we, you know, you got 200 Black Lesbians. I don't know that it always goes down on a mountain. Oh, I would like to know about it. Well, you know, you got, (laughs) what, 150 to 200 Black Lesbians. You got 150 to 200 Black Lesbians up on a secluded mountain. You got pools, you got, you know, open fire pit spaces, and you got tents and cabins. and Ooh. Yeah. I can tell you that. Everybody here going to Shades? I intend on going to Shades. I have not registered yet, I'll admit, but since I've heard it's the last Shades, I intend on going. What is Shades? Shades is a black lesbian retreat that is in Atlanta. Uh, have you been oh, to it before, Lord Jesus. I haven't. I haven't either. I'm good friends with Kat who runs um, Shades, but I have not. It, it, usually it always falls on my mom's birthday and it always falls on a weird weekend. And then when they announced that it was going to be the last one, I was like, I got to figure out a way to go. So I'm, I'm definitely going to try and make my way to Atlanta. But as you know, I support. Don't go down there and have, you know, quickie wedding with a cougar. <laughs> Listen. Um she should cut that laugh off real quick. <laughs> Look, I ain't finna make no promises now. Well, you know. Right. Like, let's do it. I well, you know, I have 
a particular cougar friend that's around. That's cougaring you around. Gonna, you gonna drive your you gonna drive your U-Haul up there? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, when I was in when I was in Harlem, I posted on Facebook. I was like, "Y'all just pack up my stuff and just ship it to New York because I'm not coming back." You know, all them them beautiful black women's. I said I'm not coming back. So don't can y'all can Willis and Courtney can y'all not embarrass me in front of company, please? Can y'all not talk about me? So like. Way more information about how you was going, how it goes down on the mountaintop. I didn't give no information about how it went down. I just said it went down. If we could all imagine how and who went down, Carolyn, like we grown. What do you mean? Whatever. Um, Rasheem, where can the people find you in the interwebs? Um, on show is a good website the counter narrative show also com. on youtube you can find me at s dot rashim book is rashim rashim i know i got them all different and i'm also an artist i'm a visual artist and you can find me on ig at art by rashim you can find me on my regular uh ig page at s rashim most places you can find me at s rashim all right and Courtney, where can the people find you and Caleb in the interweb? Oh, I'm about to delete Caleb Instagram because he's in trouble right now. So, <laughs> see, he don't need no more followers. <laughs> no more. Hey, hey. Rasheed, FYI, we have a whole episode that is hidden on my laptop that we cannot. Uh, release because Caleb got in so much trouble that I said I don't want the, uh, don't have nobody the, the folks calling me looking for nobody so it just lives on my laptop. <laughs> Are we recorded? You said what? On the interwebs, I'm on Instagram. Caleb, cut it out. Um at. Or Courtney underscore. I'm on Twitter sometimes. That's mainly for like community event type stuff. It's also at um, Short Courtney. You can find me Celia Welch on Facebook. You better not be over there knocking some over because you got attitude. And Willis, where can the people find you in the interwebs? Um, you can find me on all platforms at Hey Miss Willis, and that includes medium.com. Yes, please <laughs> so read Willis's last, last article, everyone. Please do. Willis, is it being featured on Medium? Did I see that? No, they haven't gotten back to me yet after I told them that I don't want them to change the capitalization of black, so... Harris at Medium has not responded to my email, and I think that uh, I know why they haven't responded. Huh? Harris at Medium. Say it again. I'm sorry. Allow you to capitalize black. Oh, so, well, well, it's not that they allow me because Medium, any old body could just get on there and write an article. Um, but. When I write, I capitalize black when I'm talking about people, lives, or communities, and it's very intentional. And and if I write for another publication, 
it's a publication that knows that that's intentional and won't change it. And Medium emailed me and wanted to feature my story and just mentioned that they might make small edits. But I responded to the email and told them that is one edit that I would not be amenable to. And they haven't responded to me back. So I'm just taking that as, oh, well, well we're not going to feature it no more. You're like, oh, so. you want to prioritize black people? Nope. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. I think when I wrote that piece about Get Out and it was um, it was on Medium, but there was a publication. They did. It's not it's not the same thing as featuring it. They just. It was it was on their publication. So like now when you go to that article on Medium, they um like that their banner shows up and then I cross post on Huffington Post and both of them changed my capitalization of black, which I didn't like that at all. Because I do that intentionally. So yeah. So I saw I ever since that happened, which was in what was that, twenty seventeen? I any any anytime I write for a different publication, I tell them that not to do that. And if they don't accept it, then I don't write for them. Hey, if you can't prioritize black people, then you don't they don't need to have it. Well, everyone, mm-hmm. you can find me on the interwebs on Instagram as the Nocturnal Project and on Twitter as C dub the host. You can find me on Facebook as Dub Carolyn or on my fan page as Carolyn Weisinger. You can find the C-Dub Show across all social media platforms as the C-Dub Show. Uh, you can also find us on our webpage, which is the thecdubshow.com. And, of course, you can always get to us on ssmpodcast.com. We would love to read your comments about the show, so you can email us at show at gmail.com I feel like there is something important happening that I'm leaving out there is something important that I'm leaving out and I don't know what it is I'm sure go register to vote vote, y'all November 6th is this this considered the midterm elections Courtney Courtney well, I'm just going to say that it is because she's pretty probably over she there. She said yes. Oh, she did say yes? Okay. Can I hear me? I couldn't hear you, but Willis is correct. <laughs> so go re- register to vote. Yes, please do because we need to get all these centers, whatever states you're in, get all the asses up out of there. One important thing that I didn't mention during the Brett hey. Kavanaugh conversation, I didn't get a, we didn't get a chance to talk about Susan Collins, which ended up being one of the important votes Um for his confirmation and once she announced that she was going to confirm Brett Kavanaugh her opponent's site crashed because so many people donated to their site so in your state in your city wherever you are find a proposition find a candidate that you want to support and donate because now that I have a friend that's running I know that that shit ain't cheap so donate and vote donate and vote that is the end of our episode of the C-Dub show. We will see all of y'all in the interwebs later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Come on.
standing on the corners bopping To driving some of the hottest cars New Yorkers ever seen For dropping some of the hottest verses rappers ever heard From the dope spot with the smoke lock Clinging the murder scene You know me well from nightmares of a lonely cell My only hell was since when y'all niggas know me to fail Fuck nah, we all my niggas with the rubber grips Or shots And if you with me, mama, rubber your tits And whatnot I'm from the school of the hard knocks We must not let outsiders violate our blocks And my plot is stick up the world and split it 50-50 Uh-huh, let's take the dough and stay real tricky Uh-huh, let's sip the Chris and get pissy-pissy Flow infinitely like the memory of my nigga Biggie Baby, you know it's hell when I come through The life and times of Sean Carter, nigga, volume two Y'all niggas get ready The C-Dub Show.